Good morning and welcome to the Brian Post podcast, the online devotional where we explore the timeless wisdom of the Bible for everyday living. I'm your host, Dwayne, and I'm thrilled to be sharing this time with you. In each episode, we'll delve into a different passage of scripture and we'll offer insights and reflections to help you grow in your faith and deepen your understanding of God's word. So grab a cup of coffee and your favorite drink and let's jump right in. Welcome to this morning's Berean Post podcast devotional. We've been going through the book of Colossians, and we're in Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. We're going to jump right in. The text reads, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And of course, the personal pronoun there for his is referring to Jesus based on the context. As a Jehovah's Witness, I have vivid remember, uh, vivid memories as a youth going door to door with them and repeatedly hearing them claim that Jesus never claimed to be God. Famously, Jehovah's Witnesses deny the doctrine of the Trinity, claiming that the doctrine of the Trinity is a result of a pagan import of the Roman Catholic Church. Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance, claim that Jesus is inferior to God and that he had a beginning. But is that claim true? Now, the doctrine of the United Pentecostal Church may not be as widely known to some readers, but this group takes a different stance from the historic uh, Christianity with regards to the Trinity by denying it altogether. They Uh, take an extreme position by asserting that Jesus is the Father, that Jesus is the Son, and that Jesus is the Holy Spirit. In essence, they claim that Jesus is the name of God. The group often, uh, or the theology is often referred to as a oneness theology, or they may be referred to as oneness Pentecostals. Although both groups, the Jehovah Witnesses and the oneness Pentecostals, take the extreme views at both sides of this topic and deny the Trinity. Both groups represent different sides of a doctrine that the church condemned that was called monarchianism, which seeks to uh, defend the unity of God based on scripture and a particular scripture that's found in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, uh, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. But both of these positions are rooted in a false premise. The doctrine of monarchianism was condemned by the early Christian church in the second and third centuries because it denied the Trinity and sought to defend the unity of God by asserting that God is one person with one will and that Jesus was not truly divine but merely a human being. The church condemned monarchianism because it contradicted the orthodox understanding of the Trinity, which teaches that God existed in three persons in one Godhead. Now, the one form of this doctrine called monarchianism was Sibelianism. Now, this side of this particular doctrine held 
that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were different modes or aspects of God's activity rather than distinct persons. Another form was called adoptionism, which is the form that's more similar to the Jehovah's Witnesses, which held that Jesus was merely human and who was adopted by God and given special powers. So both forms of this doctrine, monarchianism, were deemed as heretical by the church and rejected as incompatible with the Christian faith. But let's dig into it a little more. The concept of Yahweh, for instance, being a a plurality is consistent actually in the Old Testament. And that's evidenced as passages such as Deuteronomy 6.4, which is the passage that they used to argue that God isn't a trinity, by the way. The The passage states here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. Now, while the word "one" in this verse might suggest singularity, it's important to understand the context and the Hebrew word that is used here, which is "achad." Now, this word denotes a complex unity rather than a singular entity. So, for a modern example of complex unity, we could look at a team that's working together to achieve a common goal. Each member may have their own own unique skills, personalities, and perspectives, but they, they come together to form a unified whole that it's, that's greater than the sum of its individual parts. The team may have diverse backgrounds and experiences, but share a common purpose and work together towards a shared vision. Despite their individual differences, the team members recognize the value of working together and strive to complement each other's strengths and weaknesses. And this is an example, for instance, of complex unity. So we don't, you know, we we talk about the basketball team as one thing, but it's actually not just one thing. It's it's composed of, of many members that are on that team. The idea of complex unity is further supported in the Old Testament with passages that depict Yahweh using plural pronouns. For instance, in the very first chapter of the book of Genesis, we read, Let us make man in our image. Also, Genesis 3, uh, 22, we have the verbiage that says, Behold, man has become like one of us. These passages suggest that Yahweh, the, the the Jesus' Father, the God of the Old Testament, is a plurality of persons or aspects within a singular divine entity. And this foreshadows the later concept of the Trinity in Christian theology. So, while it's true we do not have a recorded instance in Scripture of Jesus directly saying, I am God, he did say things that strongly implied his divinity. Furthermore, as we delve into the writings of the earliest Christians preserved and documented in the New Testament, it becomes clear that all of Jesus' disciples believed that he was God too. But does the Bible teach that Jesus was God? Paul says in the text that we are considering today that, that, that God the Father was happy to have all of his divine characteristics and qualities like wisdom, power, and love dwell in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is considered fully divine because he possesses all of God's fullness. This verse is important in Christian beliefs because it emphasizes that Jesus was not a regular human or a prophet, but the embodiment of God in human form. And it's crucial. This is a crucial, this, this belief is crucial part of the, of 
of the Christian faith and the doctrine of the Trinity, which says that God existed in three persons in one, including the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. The Greek word used in Colossians for fullness is pleroma. In this context, it refers to the totality of divine attributes and qualities in God. So this verse states that Jesus Christ has all the divine qualities of God, making him fully divine. The term pleroma is also used in other places in the New Testament. For instance, in Ephesians 1, chapter 3, the Apostle Paul uses it to describe the church as the body of Christ, which is the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. Here, pleroma refers to the complete expression of Christ in the church. In Colossians 2, 9, Paul again uses pleroma to describe the deity of Christ, stating that in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Uh, that's pretty um, straightforward. This verse is similar to Colossians 1.19 in emphasizing the divinity of Christ. The term pleroma is also used in the Gospel of John to describe the fullness of grace that, be- that believers receive through Christ and the fullness of truth and revelation that comes through him. In passages like John chapter 114 and John 16.13, overall, Pleroma conveys the ideal of completeness, fullness, or totality of something, mainly related to divine attributes or quality. Although many people have argued that the Bible does not teach that Jesus was God, the concept of the Trinity is consistent with the writings of the Old Testament, the New Testament, and early church history. While the Bible does not use the word Trinity, the idea of one God in three persons is evident in various passages, such as in the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, um, 16 to 17, where the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all present. Similarly, in the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks about his relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, emphasizing the unity and oneness. Early Christian writers like Tertullian and Augustine also wrote about the Trinity, and the concept was ultimately affirmed as orthodox doctrine in the early church councils. So while the word word Trinity may not appear in the Bible, the notion behind it is consistent with the overall biblical teachings and the Christian tradition. Now as we reflect on the doctrine of the Trinity and the divinity of Christ, we must ask ourselves, do we truly understand the implication of these beliefs for our lives? Do we grasp the significance of Jesus not just being human, but fully divine? And most importantly, do we place our faith in him as the only way to salvation? As we close, let's meditate on these questions and seek to deepen our understanding and commitment to Christ who embodies all the fullness of God. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of the Brian Post Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion and it's brought you some encouragement and insight. Hey, if you want to stay up to date with all of our latest blogs, posts, and podcast episodes, be sure to visit brianpost.ca and subscribe. Don't forget to share our website with your friends who might need some inspiration or motivation. You can also join our community of bright future Bible freaks on Facebook. Until next time, may peace and blessings abound in your home.